Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. The very human art of singing together. I mentioned the song that we sang last week kind of poked me. Thank you. And uh, it's... What is that? Is that me? Pardon? Okay. All right. Um, It poked me because I sang that song 40 years ago in a church that I have since no longer associated with. I've uh, grappled with my own spiritual journey a great deal, and so that song kind of triggered me because those were the things that I struggled with. Uh, But once I noticed my reaction, I realized that I could go back and reclaim the words of that song. The words are very simple, but there is a beauty embedded in them. If I could distill it down, it just comes to uh, when we find God, we find love. But now, because we did last week, that song that I sang 40 years ago is now associated in my mind with seeing my grandson over here playing the cymbal, my other grandson playing on the drum, us striking the xylophones. Now I've got a very different association with, it is not cringy at all. So what we are doing is we are learning the art of reclaiming. There's a lot of things that we need to reclaim from our tradition. But today's song uh, is going to be in Latin. And if you grew up Catholic, uh, you might feel cringiness around today's song. Here's what the Latin actually it means. It says, when there is charity, agape, love, when there is charity, God is there. That's basically what it means. So, one of the lines I want to prepare you kind of anthropomorphizes God, makes God into the shape of a human being. And some of us are really working with that. And so that might be triggering as well. But remember what I said last week, we are reclaiming singing and we are reclaiming words that we kind of stayed away from when we were reimagining or re-understanding our core narrative. So Welcome to music school. Welcome to today's practice. Uh, Joe, come up. Kids, come up. Let's uh, find a space to uh, do this together. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Put, just put it off. I'll do it. I totally forgot that. Right. Excellent. We need, let's see. Okay, so we've got something for everyone. Wow, how did that happen? All right. Do you want to come up? We got a spot right here. And if we had other kids of various sizes, there are more instruments I could bring out. So don't be shy. All right, now let me. Um, can I see a show of hands of who was here last week? Great, great. Some, not all. Wonderful. And who was here of our, of our choir, of our singers? All right. We're, uh, in addition to reclaiming singing, we're reclaiming taking attendance. So uh, 
All right, so it seems like we have a lot of new folks. So we're gonna, I'm going to try and do a little bit of a high-speed, high but hopefully not too high-speed version of what we did last week, and then we're going to go into ubicaritas. Okay, so first thing is um, we're going to count to eight and clap on eight, and you guys with the finger symbols, you're going to play on eight like this. You play the finger symbols not like this, but like this, like a plus sign. Ooh, I like that. All right, so we're going to count and clap, and you guys, can you pick up your finger symbols? And when we get to eight, you're going to go bing. Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Count with me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One more. I can't hear you. Wonderful. Excellent. Now, drums. Um, pick up, flip your drums so you can play them on the head. And join me in this pattern here. And drums, join me in this pattern on your drums. There you go. All right. And let's see. At the... If you wish. There you go. I told you I had instruments. Okay. Here we go. Drums and body percussion. One and two, three and four. One and two, three and four. We will, we will rock you. Perfect. Keep going. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Excellent. Right on it. And xylophone. Okay, so. Drums are going to be ready. I'm coming right back to you. Xylophones. Pick up your mallets. Hover over the E. We call that eggplant. And when you strike the bar, you're going to strike it right in the middle of the bar where the, yeah, well, for you, where the letter is. Right in the middle of the bar. Would everyone, let me hear an E. Ready, go. Well, lovely. And can I hear a D for donut? Excellent. And another E. And then a B. Excellent. And our pattern is this, pat, snap, pat, snap, pat. And so we go eggplant, donut, eggplant, bagel, eggplant, donut, eggplant. That's a terrible meal. Eggplant, donut, eggplant, bagel, <laughs> eggplant, <laughs> eggplant. Keep going. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, and you're done. Excellent. Everybody, instruments down. We are coming right back to you. But I have to. We have wires. All right. All right, if everybody, instrumentalists and non-instrumentalists, or future instrumentalists, as I would 
say. Um, we're going to sing a little bit together. I'm just going to sing three numbers. I want you to sing back to me like this. One, one, one. Your turn. One, one, one. Good. One, one, two. You're not playing yet. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Isn't this perfect for October? One, two, three, four, five. Five, four, three, two, one. One, one, three, one, go. Good. One, three, five, three, one, go. One, three, five, three, one. Excellent. That's it. I'll sing a little bit and you'll sing it back to me and we're going to work through that first verse together like this. Love, 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 your turn, here we go. Love, 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 excellent. The message in a word is love, your turn, here we go. The message in a word is love, excellent. Love your neighbor as your brother, your turn, go. Love your neighbor as your brother, good. Love, 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 here we go. Love, 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 excellent. I think, well, let's keep going. I'm going to do two lines, you'll do two lines. Love, 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 the message in a word is love, your turn, together let's sing. Love, 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 the message in a word is love, here's the second part. Love your neighbor as your brother, love, love, love. Your turn, one, two, together let's sing. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. Excellent. I think we're ready to put it all together. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. My instrumentalists... What a good job. Turn that upside down. We can get our drums ready to play. If your neighbor's not, there you go. Tri flip that guy right back over. There you go. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Wonderful. Our finger symbols are ready. All right, so we're going we're gonna to build it with We're going to build it with drums, then finger symbols, then xylophones, and then everybody. Okay? So instruments first. Here, you ready, drums? So here's our pattern. One and two, three and four, one and two, get ready. One and two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, they're good. Two, five, six, seven. Eggplant, donut, eggplant, bagel. Keep going. One, I gotcha. Seven. Love, 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 the message in a word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, 
love, love, joy, 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 joy. The message in our word is joy, joy that fills to overflowing. Love, joy, 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 a little quieter, guys. Peace, 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 peace. The message in the word is peace. Peace that passes understanding. Peace, peace, peace. Here we go, nice and big. Love, 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 love. The message in our word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love. Sing that last line again. Love, 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 six, seven. Love, love, love. That's right. You know what to do. How about that? Outstanding. Thank you, guys. Now, here's a... What we're about to do for you guys up here is going to be the hardest thing you do all day. We're going to do a new song, and you can't play the instruments for this. That's, if they can pull this off, that is going to be most impressive. So, finger symbols. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do you a solid. Because I'm going to say, put your finger symbols in, like, behind your towels. Like, beyond your towels. There you go. And then... Cover them with the towel. <laughs> right? It's magic. They're gone. <laughs> Drums, they're upside down, which is awesome, almost. Um, for you, you get to put them behind you like it never even happened. And uh, xylophones, I think you guys will be just fine. You, um, if you are overcome with temptation, maybe just scoot yourself away just a bit, but I think we'll be fine. All right, so this song, Ubi Caritas, it's a really pretty song, and it has a really beautiful message. Uh, as Doug said, Ubi, where, caritas, charity, Deus ibi est, there God is. So where there's charity, where there's love, that's where God is. Um, I'm going to give you a real quick Latin pronunciation lesson. Interestingly, a couple things. Number one, um, liturgical Latin, which who knew there was such a thing? Um, you don't always pronounce, if you took Latin in high school or whatever, some of these pronunciations might be different because there's some variations between church Latin and regular Latin. Um, this is not my field of study, by the way. Um, <laughs> it only seems like it. Um, and... Um, and in Latin, every, every vowel only has one sound. So like in English, every vowel has at least two sounds. Um, and in Latin, um, they only have one. So um, if you just repeat after me, we're going to learn how to pronounce these words. So ubi, caritas, caritas, okay? Deus, and deus is the one that folks tend to mispronounce because they pronounce it deus, right? So it's not Deus, uh, unless you're from North Carolina. Um, Deus. So Deus. Wonderful. Ibi. Est. Okay. Ubi caritas. Deus ibi est. 
Perfect. And that's all the Latin you need to know for this song. Um, compared to love, 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 this is, we call this, and now for something completely different. Um, this is going to go over here. Okay, so let's speak it in rhythm. So I'm going to speak it in a certain way. I want you to just echo back to me with your speaking voice. Ubi caritas. Ubi caritas. Deus ibi est. Ready, go. Deus ibi est. Good. All right. Let's sing that. Ubi caritas. Sing that much, please. One, two, together, let's sing. Ubi caritas. Good. Exact same thing again. Ubi caritas. Do that with me. Ready, go. Ubi caritas. Good. Here's the next part. Deus ibi est. Your turn, go. Deus ibi est. Excellent. Uh, listen to me sing the whole thing. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. Sing that with me. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. One more time. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. Excellent. Now the English part, which is the exact, which is the translation, where there is charity and love, God is there, God is there. Where there is charity and love, God is always there. And that part goes like this. Where there is charity and love. Sing that with me. Ready, go. Where there is charity and love. Here's the next part. God is there. God is there. Your turn with me. One, two, together, let's sing. God is there. God is there. Good. Let's put those two parts together. The first two lines. Where there's charity. One, two, sing with me. Where there is charity and love. God is there. God is there. Now the second part. Where there's charity and love is exactly the same. Where there is charity and love. Sing that with me. Where there is charity and love. Here's the last part. Um, God is always there. Your turn. God is always there. Let's do the whole thing from where there's charity. Um, here we go. And. Where there is charity and love, God is there, God is there. Where there is charity and love, God is always there. Excellent. Now, um, so there's the ubi caritas part. There's the where there is charity and love part. There's a middle section that you get to rest on. I'll sing the middle section. And then it comes back to ubi caritas, exactly the way we learned it. And the ending is very simple. 
It's just an elongation of a phrase that we already learned. The very end of the song goes like this. Um, God is always there. Try that with me. Starting here, one, two, nice and long. God is always there. There you go. Um, excellent. I think we're ready to sing it. Back to the beginning. Okay. So that we'll do twice. Uh, or is there two slides? Is there two slides for Ubi Caritas or do we sing that one slide twice? One slide twice. Perfect. All right. We need more level. And I'm going to start that again. All right. Take a good breath and sing nice and strong all together. Here we go. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. Where there is charity. Where there is charity and love. God is there, God is there, where tea and love, God is always there. We have gathered in this place, joining hearts in love and grace. Giving thanks to God above, we go out to serve in love. Ubi caritas. Here we go. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. Ubi caritas, ubi caritas, Deus ibi est. God is always there. God is always there. Very nice. Thank you so much for singing together. Wonderful. Really, really nice. Thank you. Let's stand up together, greet one another, and Jesus, you can be dismissed now to your classes. Hey, good morning. God's blessing on you. Do you want that muted or off for now? Or?
And right, let's okay. All right. Okay. Let's be seated. Let's be seated. Okay, let's be seated. And as you're being seated, make sure before you leave, you say hi to Cindy because she's in town. Here she is. Woo! <laughs> All right. So the lesson that we've been on for some time, reclaiming treasure, uh, we are exploring an oscillating pattern in human history. Human beings, we see a problem or we see an opportunity and then we respond to it. That's pretty human, right? So we make a pattern of seeing opportunities, seeing a problems, and then we adjust or we correct. We solve a problem, we take advantage of an opportunity. It's what human beings do. And we've seen part of the pattern is that when we adjust, we also quite commonly over-adjust. When we correct, we also quite commonly over-correct. So it is a wise discipline then to go back from time to time and to ask ourselves, have we done that? And if we did, did we lose something precious when we not just adjusted, but also over-adjusted? So we've seen several examples of the pattern in the lesson so far. Things we inadvertently left behind that uh, we would be well served to reclaim. So if you missed, you can catch up online, especially uh, catch up last week. Last week will be a significant uh, project in our community over the next year or so. So today we're going to talk about how we overcorrected and lost graciousness and how we can potentially reclaim it. How we lost graciousness and how we can reclaim it. So here are the questions that we'll be talking about afterwards to give you some time to be thinking as the lesson goes on. Uh, today you're going to hear some talk about tolerance and some American history and some religious framing history. And I want you to be thinking about a time in your life, about an experience in your life when you did experience tolerance. Maybe you've experienced inside of yourself towards someone else, or maybe you experienced it from someone else towards you. Or conversely, a time you did not experience tolerance, either in you or toward you. Then I'd like us to stand back and think together for a moment about the way that I describe grace today, might that have or might could it sometime change the equation if we begin to function more in this concept of grace? So be thinking about your story around today's reclaimed treasure, graciousness. All right. Now, <clears throat> nobody thinks this is a particularly gracious moment in our society. Nobody really thinks that this is a moment in which we are characterized by being courteous or kind or pleasant. Nobody thinks that we are practicing uh, generosity of spirit across the board. We're not particularly approachable or even considerate. No, that's not this moment in history. Last week, we talked about how we lost sight of our national story. 
the story that helps us think about what it means to be American, E Pluribus Unum, our national motto. A story we tell ourselves about ourselves, a story that shapes our collective lives, our collective consciousness about what it means to be us. Out of many, we are becoming one. That's our story. Out of many, we are becoming one. Now, it started by saying, out of 13 colonies, we are becoming one unified nation. But over time, we have expanded that story to include a lot of different things. Out of many religious traditions, Anglicans in Pennsylvania and North and South Carolina, uh, Puritans in Massachusetts, Quakers and Baptists in Rhode Island, Congregationalists in Connecticut, Catholics and Quakers, Jewish people and Lutherans in New York. Out of many, a unified nation able to practice religious pluralism. That's been our nation's organizing story. Later, we expanded E Pluribus Unum further. Uh, as wave of waves of immigrants begin to make the new world into their new home, uh, coming from places where they actually resented one another, and sure enough, kept resenting one another when they initially got here. But after time, the national narrative began to do what the national, what stories do. They shape us, shape how we live together, and we started striving for and aspiring to e pluribus unum. And we have kept expanding our national story, applying it eventually, aspiring to apply it to those who were brought here against their will, those who've been horribly mistreated in our history, aspiring to bring unum to pluribus, especially people who've been long kept out of unum. So, as stories do, our national story keeps working on us keeps expanding us, keeps uh, bringing us to the place where together the disparate many are forging a new oneness. <laughs> Look around. <laughs> That's our story. And sure enough, it's not been doing what it's done at other times in our nation's history. So it's not exactly what we're seeing today. We're not really living our best American story. I said last week that one of the reasons that we don't sing together in our culture is that singing is a deeply human way that we bond together. We actually don't want to bond together these days, especially not with them. We don't want to tell a story or sing a song that contains that story because we don't want to e pluribus unum, not with them anyway. Now here's a basic human truism. Much more unites us than divides us. We all have the same brains. We all have the same neurons. And because we do, we all have the same physical needs. We all have the same emotional needs, same relational needs and parental needs and social needs, the need to be respected, the need to belong. We know in our minds that much more unites us than divides us. But we live in a moment of artificially ginned up outrage. We have this unrelenting goading from our unscrupulous politicians and unscrupulous media. We only focus on the small part that divides us and completely miss, do not see the part that unite, unites us. 
we only see what the gatekeepers want us to see. Now, it is true that technology has amplified the power of the gatekeepers. They do have much more power to keep us in a state of ginned up outrage. But it's not a new pattern. It's been a pattern in all of human history. What's potentially new is the amplitude, maybe. But it's not a new pattern. And sure enough, the ancients understood a way out of this blinding blindness. And the word they used for it is grace or graciousness. And it turns out, and I know that this is going to piss off some of my dear anti-religion friends, <laughs> but it turns out that religion is one of the best ways that human beings have found to develop grace, to find and refind the grace that we've lost. So today, let's talk a little bit about that, how we lost it, how we can potentially get it back. So this is the same guy that wrote Bowling Alone, uh, Robert Putnam. He also wrote The Upswing. I've been encouraging you to read that book for the last several weeks. Well, he wrote this book, American Grace, in 2010. And uh, one of the <coughs> reviewers of the book subtitled it, How the U.S. Solved the Problem of Pluralism. And it turns out, one of the ways we did that was religion. And this guy is a researcher. I've told you that about his other books. I mean, that's what he does. He researches all kinds of metrics. And in his first book, Bowling Alone, he popularized a term. It's called, the term is social capital. Social capital is the network of healthy, interconnected relationship that exists within a society and that webs this society together, that integrates a society together. When we live in expansive networks of interpersonal relationships, we develop a shared sense of us. We develop comfortable patterns and norms automatically, naturally. We develop a high degree of trust a high degree of cooperation and the ability to cooperate, and a high degree of reciprocity where we give and it is given unto us. And that's the term social capital. And it turns out that social capital is just as deterministic of a healthy society or a prosperous society, a healthy economy, as are other kinds of capital. Social capital is just as uh, deterministic in a society as dollar capital or raw materials capital or intellectual capital or natural resource capital. When large groups can cooperate because we have social capital, we have a healthy society. When large groups can cooperate with high degrees of trust, we have a prosperous society. Now, here's the thing that this decidedly non-religious researcher found doing his research. Religion is one of the best ways that human beings have found to develop that rich network of interconnected webs of interpersonal relationships. In his research, he found that almost half of all significant relationships that we have in America are connected in some way to religious community. And as religious communities have declined, our networks of significant relationships have declined along with. Now, for a researcher, that is cause for research. So, he and his team interviewed uh, a gazillion Americans over two years. It was some number, I forgot it. Uh, and 
they looked at their comprehensively at their lives, looking at their civic involvement, looked at their social involvement, their relationships, their economics, their demographics, and here's what they found. Not surprisingly, Americans are a religious bunch. <coughs> also not surprisingly, we're pretty divided along lines of religion, where there are this kind of religious people and those kind of religious people. But, and this is the surprising part, Americans have practiced an extraordinarily high level of religious tolerance. And, and here's the part that has lots and lots of data behind it, this guy that I mentioned, he's a researcher, and the reason there's so much research behind this and so much data behind this is because it is not what folks would assume and it is the thing people want to argue about. Religion, <laughs> religion makes people better citizens. Now, lots and lots of folks would look around and fundamentally disagree with that, but religion tends to make us better neighbors and better citizens. Now, before you roll your eyes, two things. Uh, first, he wrote the book in 2010. Now, a bunch of really ugly stuff has happened in the years since 2010. Chief among them, the rise of Christian nationalism. Uh, Christian nationalism is a fear-driven perversion of both patriotism and Christianity. It is not Christian, and it is not really uh, patriotic. But keep in mind that 2010 was not that long ago, and we have this deep heritage embedded in our national DNA, and it takes a lot longer than 12 years to fundamentally change something that runs that deeply. Second, what I mentioned earlier, we are being ginned up by unscrupulous leaders, and we are not getting the whole story, so we don't know a lot of what is going on in our nation in terms of our ability to tolerate one another. So. If we can stand back from the craziness of this moment, the craziness of what happens on social media and what happens in, uh, on the cable news, and if we look at this guy's research, we see how deeply there runs in the American ethos this theme of our capacity to tolerate one another's differences. And so how is it that we've been able to do that? How is it that we've been able to e pluribus unum. How has America overcome this problem of being such a pluralistic society? And he posits two main ways. The first is, he called it the Aunt Susan theory. And the Aunt Susan theory is kind of a feedback loop. We have, as a nation, because of our history, religious diversity. It's just part of what it means to live here. And all the way back to the colonies, we've been very different in our religious uh, framing. And religion creates strong networks of interconnected relationships. And strong networks of interconnected relationships drive a very high degree of social capital. And we, as Americans, have enjoyed a high degree of social capital for a long, long time. And given that we have... Given those three factors, most Americans have someone in their lives with a very different religious faith or with no religion, but yet they love them and they respect them. So most Americans have someone in their lives that they love and respect who comes from a very different religious tradition. And they know that that person is not bad. Rhetoric excluding, they know that person's not bad. And they have a hard time saying that that person is going to suffer in the eternal torment of hell. So, for a lot of our American history, we've had these rich networks, 
these rich connected relationships. We've even married across religious boundaries and have had a tremendous wealth of social capital. We have developed shared norms. We have enjoyed a high degree of trust and cooperation and reciprocity, and we have done that despite these very key differences between us. We have had bridges across religious divides, and we have been able to accept people of different beliefs, less likely to escalate our differences into conflicts, and we have been a more harmonious society. Now I know that does not seem like the world that we are living in right now. Now I know that is not the story that is just floating around in our heads today. But remember, 2010 wasn't that long ago. It takes much longer to change something as deeply embedded as our national uh, narrative. And remember, unscrupulous leaders, religion drives social capital. Social capital makes us better citizens. That's one way in which this has happened. A second way in which this has happened and helped religious people become better citizens comes from what social capital does to human beings. When we get into rich interconnected networks of relationship, when we do see beyond our differences, we start to see that one another does carry what we talk about as the inner light that's in every one of us. And we can see that inner light despite the key differences that we have in terms of religious doctrine. Our diversified relationships have actually in our national history changed us as human beings. And it turns out, research tells us, that when we experience that network of diversified relationships, we become more virtuous. We become more altruistic. We become more other people-minded. That's what social capital does to us. We create social capital by participating in these networks, but then those networks then have a feedback process upon us and begin changing who we are. And because almost half of all Americans of significant relationships are somehow connected to a religious network, and because religious folks are more in more significant relationships, that has happened to us, religious people, a lot. And for a lot of our history, we have become more generous. We have become more conscientious. We have become more empathetic. We have become more likely to help non-family members in times of need, more likely to spend time with those who are down, more likely to trust others, more likely to behave in, tr in trustworthy ways, more likely to be creators of social capital. Now again, lots and lots of research behind those claims because those are not the terms in which we tend to think of religious people. So, more likely to act in ways that benefit society, more likely to, have, to participate in civic engagement, to belong to community organizations, to participate in community solving problem. And here's one that you might find even harder to believe, more likely to tolerate other people's social views. So, you gotta be thinking to yourself, oh God, what has happened to us? Because if that's what we have been, what has happened to us? For most of our history, we have been highly tolerant of one another's differences. So you might be well ask, what the hell happened? 
because that is not the world that we're living in. Thank you very much, Dr. Putnam. Appreciate your research, <laughs> but that's not the world that I live in. Well, here's what happened. The 1960s happened. Vietnam happened. Rejecting conformity happened. Tolerating conformity as a precondition for belonging. We couldn't do that anymore. People long excluded from e pluribus unum stopped being willing to be excluded and began to push for change. And that happened, and a lot of change, and a lot of change happened rapidly. And when rapid change happens, historically, there's always pushback because it's also part of a healthy society to try and conserve what has worked and to hold on to the things that have gone well. And so for lots Lots of folks, uh, surely not everybody, but for a lot of folks, the social status quo, the religious status quo, the economic status quo had been working for a long, long time. And so when all of this change happened, there was a great deal of pushback. Think about Richard Nixon and the silent majority, the American pushback phenomenon to the dramatic change that happened in the 60s. But here's the thing, that kind of pushback, it's kind of a normal feature of social evolution. It's kind of how change happens. You might have heard about the Hegelian dialectic in some class along the way where we've got thesis and we've got antithesis and then we've got some kind of a revolutionary process and then we've got synthesis. It's kind of how history unfolds. Pushback is kind of part of the gig. But what was different for us was the role that religion played and how that role of religion began to change in our national life. In the 60s, and in the 70s, for a lot of reasons that we have talked about extensively, religious participation began to decline precipitously. There was seismic social change going on and plummeting religious engagement. Both of those things were happening through the 60s. Then in the 70s and 80s, there was that pushback and for a very vocal segment of the American religious institution for the American church, they chose a very specific pushback strategy. And that was in the late 70s, they began to go political. And they began to conflate religious life and spiritual life. And they began to conflate both of those then with political life. And they became a voting block. And they became a very strong voting block and they were looking for the power that they needed to stem the tide of so much social change happening so rapidly. And so they began to seek political power and social power and were quite successful. Did form a very strong voting block, did begin to influence elections. So you take that strategy that began to emerge in the 70s, fast forward it to the 90s, to the late 80s and the early 90s, and that strategy began to backfire. They got political power, they got a lot of it, but they began to lose legitimacy. Young people were increasingly put off by the conflating of spirituality and politics. Some of you are about my age. You went through that process as an individual, but that began to happen collectively as a nation. When we conflated spirituality and politics, people, especially young people, began to vote with their feet. And religious decline began to accelerate rapidly. 
there were people who were outside of these big generalities. We certainly function outside of these generalities, but the generalities are generalities for a reason. Religious people begin to migrate very vocally to one political camp, and non-religious people begin to migrate to another political camp. And the group in the middle got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Now again, as I've said, driven by unscrupulous players who benefit when those differences are highlighted and fanned and exploited, the story gets pushed harder and harder and harder that the truism I mentioned is not true. That it is not true that more unites us than divides us. That it is not true that they are the same as us with the same brains and the same neurons and the same needs and the same motivations. No, because that story does nothing to further our agenda. And so we don't tell that story. We tell the story of our differences and what gets sacrificed in the process is our national story because we don't want to e pluribus unum. I listened to an interview last night, uh, several scholars exploring kind of the historical origins of uh, Christian nationalism and seeing how we are go undergoing a fundamental recasting of the American story. That the rhetoric, rhetoric is pointing us toward restoring, which is historically quite inaccurate, restoring America to being a Christian nation. We've not been a Christian nation, we've been an e pluribus unum nation. Now, lots and lots of us were Christian, but that wasn't what defined what it meant to be American. Tolerance and acceptance were what has characterized us as a nation. We're a nation on a journey from less inclusion to more, and it's because of our story. But when we're looking around, <coughs> we are sure going in the opposite way these days. We're going toward less tolerance and less inclusion, less respect for Aunt Susan, less social capital, fewer relational interconnections, and we are losing something precious in the process. We're losing the art of graciousness. We're losing grace. Now, in the writings of the early Christians, the Greek word for grace, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, ubi caritas, we sang that this morning. It comes from a root word for, it's, it's a really loaded word. One of the root meanings is joy. Another root meaning that's connected is the word free, where we get the word gratis. Several concepts are embedded in the word grace. Charitable, looking out for other people. Favor to those who don't often get favor. I distilled a lot of etymology into that list that I mentioned earlier that nobody thinks of our society as. Courteous and kind and pleasant, all wrapped up in grace. Generous of spirit, accommodating of others, approachable, considerate. Basically, grace is an ancient synonym for social capital. It's not the term that the early Christians used, but it's embedded in the concept. So, we've been correcting, and we've been adjusting. We've fixed some broken things. We've begun to include those who've been excluded. We've created space for more people, good for us. We've reacted to the pace of change. That's another thing that human beings do. We've tried the pushback process, which is part of the natural process of social change. And we're working hard to break down our interconnected networks of relationships. And we're squandering our social capital. And we're losing a treasure 
a social norm that we once had in abundance. We're losing the bedrock of our narrative. We can't do e pluribus unum without graciousness. Now, there's some debate as to which one of our fourth century church leaders said this, but here it is, and it's embedded deeply in our Christian heritage. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. That captures the ancient concept of grace. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Now, the religious trend lines today are kind of going in the other way. We are radically expanding the list of things that we call essentials. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Forget all that tolerance stuff. If you want to be part of us, you have to ascribe to this. It is essential. It is essential. You can't be one of us without this. It is essential. I did not used to be that way. And as a matter of fact, that's not even what's embedded in the fiber of our American ethos. But now, non-essentials have become essential. And we have to have uniformity in order to be together. And out the window goes tolerance for Aunt Susan. Out the window goes respect for, admiration for Aunt Susan. Different opinions about faith or politics or even how we care for the planet, no social capital for you. No grace for you. No, no, no. Now, there are a few things I believe we've got to fight for. You do too. You've got a list for me. One of the things on my list is resisting the core ideology of Christian nationalism. Our spiritual heritage, our national heritage is too precious to have it hijacked by what is clearly an error. It is clearly not in line with our tradition. But I am pretty sure that there's a whole lot of other stuff that we could be a lot less worked up about. There's a whole lot of other stuff about which we could be much more tolerant and much more charitable and a lot more accommodating and a lot more accepting. We could be a lot more gracious. Now, our nation's history paved the way for us. Those who went before had a deep understanding of ancient wisdom. And they told us, you don't have to agree in order to tolerate. Clearly, we didn't, because the Congregationalists and the Puritans, they never agreed. We don't have to agree to be the same, to be together. We never have. We don't have to agree to accept one another. We never have. But we could be a lot more gracious. We could begin, you and I, to rebuild graciousness around us. We could be doing our small part, breaking the cycle in our small corner of the world, bringing back our story that out of many we are becoming one. We could do that. We could do that. And so, in dwelling divine, may we. May we be increasingly becoming gracious people. And may we increasingly be reshaping our small corner of the world in some small way, and may we do it every day. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings. Uh, we all give online now. You go to our website. At the top, there's the donate button. There's lots of options, lots of different ways to give. 
We invite you, if you're, even if you're not here in Raleigh, if you're joining us from far away to take an ownership stake in the community, remembering what we say all the time. There is good return when we invest in community because we give our love and we give our time and we give our energy and we give our dollars, but then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us, creating a context, an environment in which we thrive, in which we grow, in which we are transformed. So, good return when we invest in spiritual community. And we're gonna move. <laughs> and the place that we're gonna move doesn't have an attic. And because it doesn't have an attic, you can't run cables through, and we can't end up using the speakers that we've had. Oh, damn which means we're going to have to get different speakers. And it also means that there's going to be other things that we're going to have to do because the way that the thing is set back, you can't really use our projector and you can't really use our screen. So we're going to have to sell our projector and sell our screen and hopefully uh, David and Gene are working together to get a good price for it, but we're going to end up coming up short <laughs> of what we're going to need. So we're also probably going to need carpet downstairs where the children's are because it hasn't been changed for a long, long time. And when Shelby went in there, she was aghast and thought, we cannot put our children into this carpet, onto this carpet. So we're going to need some things. So this would be a great time to be a contributor to the community, to take an ownership stake if you have not. And uh, there, is going, there are going to be expenses associated with our move. Well, in a minute, we're going to do what are you thinking here in, the live, here in the room. Those of you on the live stream, we invite you to do the same uh, on Zoom. Do what are you thinking on Zoom. The link is on the front page of our website. And if you've hung in this long, we're just going to tell you the password. The password is 1417. 1417, be nice. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to think more deeply about the lesson and your life and to begin to build up our network of community. I hope you'll join in. Let's dismiss those folks uh, and then we'll talk about uh, the lesson. If you would put your hand on your heart and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they are in us because we carry the light of God within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for an opportunity this week to give what's already inside of us to the people that we live and work and go to school with. Opportunity to extend grace to someone looking to repair, to heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. Uh, you are dismissed. We are not dismissed. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you